we'll get started here, Romans 15. Uh, and uh, we're down in verse number 4, but we're going to start reading in verse 1 just to kind of get it back in our thinking here. Uh, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached fell on me. Reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through the script, through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now again, this is the end of this uh, sixth section here on our reasonable service coming out of chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 and it has to do with again the issue of the relationship between the weaker believer and the stronger believer verse 1 we then that are strong and Paul puts the the responsibility of this relationship on the stronger believer and that we ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. And again, the infirmities there is that of the weak. The weaker believer is not up to speed, doesn't have in the realm of their inner man the benefits of understanding the grace doctrines, the sound doctrines. They're learning, they're growing, they're, they've got it going, but they're just not on there all the way so the weak will misunderstand then the liberty of the strong okay and uh the fact that the stronger can eat can drink can do that liberty and we talked about that so whatever (laughs) the the weak and that's really where paul's headed here the weaker believer will not understand the liberty that we have in christ okay So then when they look at the stronger believer, they won't understand their liberty to eat and drink and to do. So then that causes an infirmity. It causes an infirmity for the stronger because the infirmity now is the stronger is going to do what? Well, verse 7, wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. What are we going to do? We're going to forego our liberty, our rights, in order to not cause the weaker to stumble, to be wounded. And we've looked at all of this to fall, to, to, to uh, be dismayed. And that's an interesting thing here because as you learn and as you grow, what do you become? Stronger. And then when you interact with people who you know, you know, usually it's family or friends, that they don't know, then now you're the stronger, they're the weaker, you just learned it, you know. I mean, you think about how this is, and again, this isn't something that's always ongoing in relationships. That's why Paul talks, calls him him, that is weak. Single guy, single individual, single situation. Our goal as the stronger is to bring the weaker up to help them to, in their edification. So Paul, in talking about the responsibility on the stronger, verse 3, brings up the premier example of what it is to bear the infirmities uh, and the reproaches. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. 
So Paul brings up the premier, the prime example of the proper attitude, the proper thinking that we are to have and to have towards the weaker, and that's who? Christ attitude, okay? Christ viewpoint. And we looked at that issue there uh, two weeks ago. When he went to Calvary, what was he thinking? He wasn't thinking about self-preservation or self-interest. He was thinking about who? Well, he was thinking about doing the will of the Father, but then also to what? For the sinner, for humanity. So he, he, had, a, he, he had a different thought process. And what, that's what Paul is, doing, is saying to the stronger, just as Christ did what he did. He forgo his liberty. He forgo his rights, his self-interest. Stronger believer, you're to do the same. Okay, so you're you're to have that capacity to look at and to say, there it is. Okay, and that's where we're at. So Jesus Christ, he stands as an internal testimony that he didn't die for his own self-benefit. Self-interest, he died for who? The sinner. He died for the weaker, the ungodly. That's why in Romans 5, Paul would say, when we were without strength, well, he died for us. Weak. Why? We don't know. We don't, we don't, the lost don't know they need light or life. They think everything's good to go until what happens? Until, until you, stronger, put it in front of them that they need what? Life. And the life is going to come from Calvary. So what are we to do? We're to receive, again, verse 7, Wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. We're to, see, we're to have that same mindset that Christ had. when he. And by the way, in verse 3, that the reproaches of them, think about them, the weaker, the weaker believer, bring it into you and I, the weaker believer, that reproached thee, the stronger. The weaker is attacking the stronger. Fell on who? Me, Christ. See? So if you are thinking, verse 7, I'm going to receive them as Christ received me, then when they violate my liberty, I'm not going to rain down hailstorms of thunder and wrath on them. I'm going to look at them and say, you know what? Let's, okay, you need some education, kid. <laughs> And come on, you know, and and then let's educate them, okay? But the thing is, is or at least I should say, let's attempt to educate them, because <laughs> a lot of people don't. You talk, I've talked to people for ages about stuff, and they just go, "Nope, I ain't gonna have it." I'm like, "Okay, well, it's here when you're ready. I'll never be ready." Well, okay. <laughs> anyway, so we come to verse four, and this is where we were last time. Again, Paul reaches back to Psalm 69. He brings up, brings in this premier illustration to make the application to the stronger believer. Now verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Now Paul's going to amplify what he just did in the first three verses by bringing in and bringing to us an, an, an illustration here of how do we the 
how do we then apply the thinking, the mindset that Christ had to our situation? Because that is ultimately the question. Okay, I get the principle. How do I apply it here? Well, what did Christ do? He understood the word of the Father, and he did what? He willingly went and did what the Father asked him to do. So what are we going to do? Same thing. It's not I, but Christ, the life I now live in the flesh. I live by the what? The faith. I'm going to, here's what I'm to do. I'm going to have a living sacrifice mentality, and I'm going to come over here now and do what my, my weaker brother, sister needs done. And that's what he's going to do here. He does it by saying, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our, what? Learning. Learning, not obedience. Okay, I know some groups say all the Old Testament's for our obedience. We're to obey it. No, it's learning. There's a difference between learning and obedience. The Old Testament, the prophetic scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts, it's all for our learning. Thing, I, I love that. For whatsoever things were written for things, the, the things that are written, they're intended to do something for us today, to accomplish something for us today. Notice in verse 4, that we threw, that, the purpose, the intent, the focus of the Scripture, the things that are written, they're intended to produce patience, comfort, and hope. You see, there's a purpose to it. It isn't just to fill up you know, mindless Bible study during the week or Bible reading. It's designed to do something. Verse 5, now, see that, now? So here, so you're reading, you're learning, you're, we're, we've been studying Psalm 69, verse 9, the quote of verse 3. We've been dissecting that out, we looked at it, we've, we looked at Philippians 2, we looked at the mindset, how Christ thinks about all of this. Now, now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Now, the God of what? Patience and consolation. I love that. Consolation. The, the soothing of the soul. That's what, you know, consolation. But, but notice the word now. So here I am. I take the things that are written aforetime. So I take Psalm 69. I study out Psalm 69, the reproach chapter. It's a messianic psalm, but I get the, I get the mindset. I go to Psalms 22, and I read the mindset of Christ on Calvary. I read John 8. I read John 5. I read all the stuff about him and how he was thinking as he's going through Calvary. The, the, what are the Catholics called? The, the passion, the, the steps of the cross, or something like that. Okay, All of that, I, I, I study all that out, and what's the conclusion, verse 5? For me to what? To be like-minded. There's a conclusion. I'm to do what? I'm to take that a wonderful illustration of my Savior, and verse 5, I'm to, to be like-minded one toward another according to who? The illustration, Christ Jesus. How did he look at this? Come back over to Philippians 2. Again, this, we, we're looking for, usually most believers are looking for some mystical mist in the air to come through and zap them. 
And it's not. It's what? The things that are written for time are written for our learning. See? Philippians 2, if you look at verse 1, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any, if any bowels and mercies fulfill you my joy. Now, again, isn't that what Romans 15, 4 just said we're to have? Comfort, patience, and hope. Fulfill you my joy that ye be what? Like-minded. Having the same love. Being of one accord, of one mind. If there be therefore any consolations in who? In Christ. In verse 1. Any fellowship of the who? The Spirit. Capital S. Holy Spirit. If I've got the Scriptures working in my thinking, what am I going to do? I'm going to be like-minded. I'm going to have one accord. I'm going to be of one mind. I'm going to, verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's what that's what he's that's where Paul's pushing us in our understanding and back now go back to Romans 15. So when he says the things that are written before time are written for our learning, why? So that we'll be like-minded. We'll have patience. Boy, isn't it you have to be patient with the weak. You have to. We have patience, we have comfort. Isn't it comfortable? Isn't it isn't it great comfort to know? That you have liberty and all this stuff, all the, all the riches of His grace. Isn't it wonderful to know that the God of patience and consolation grant you to be? I mean, here He is. He was patient with you. So then what should we be? Patient with others as well. That's the driving point. The Scripture and God possess the same characteristic. They possess the same attitude, they, the same thinking. They are intended to produce patience, comfort, hope, consolation, and the like. Okay? So how then does the God of patience and consolation produce patience and comfort and hope in you? How does He do it? Through what? Through the Scripture. See? We're we're up in uh, we're we're doing a little little brain surgery this morning, right? <laughs> this is, it's the simplicity that's in Christ. This isn't hard. You know what's hard? Believing it. That's what's hard, because it can't be this simple, you know. But it is. So how then do we do it? And that's what Paul is getting after here when he says the things that are written aforetime. Were written for our learning. By, by the way, again, not obedience. Not obedience. When he when when Paul come back with me to Romans 1. Think about when Paul talks about obedience. Romans 1. When Paul wants us to Learn something for obedience. You know what? He's clear about that. Look at verse 5. Romans 1 verse 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. 
when Paul does talk about something that's for our obedience, he's clear and specific. His apostleship and the message of grace given to him is for what? Our obedience. See that? Come over to Romans 16. Romans 16. So don't think that Paul just says, all the scripture is just for your learning. You don't have to obey it because some dude take it that way. No. When it comes to his message and his apostleship and his ministry, what's it for? Obedience. So when he says something, what are we to do? We're to obey that. When David writes Psalm 69, by the way, when David writes Psalm 69, who, who, do they, who, do, who does Israel think he's talking about? Himself. Because the, as a nation, they, the reproaches of the nation had fallen on him. He's the king. He's getting kicked out. It's not till later that we understand what? He's really talking about the Messiah. That's revealed in, in the Gospels. But then Paul tags on to it as well. See, we'll get, we'll get uh, getting ahead of that. We'll get into that a little bit. Look at Romans 16. Look at verse, well, verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God. Now watch, made known to how many nations? All nations for what? For the obedience of faith. Now the scriptures of the prophets there, that's not the Old Testament. There's other things going on with that and understanding that. We'll get there when we get over there in Romans 16, okay? The, there's a difference between learning and obedience. So when you come back a chapter to chapter 15, what's he doing? You guys need to read Psalm 16. See the application here. When you Bible study... When you study a passage, there's several different mechanisms in that, in that study. One is you're going to study it dispensationally. So you're going to ask the who, what, where, when, and why questions. Okay, who wrote it, to whom, and where. But there's also a historical setting of it. When David wrote Psalm 69, historically, what was going on? Well, go, just go back there to Psalm 69. Actually, let me... Go to Psalms 59. I'll just read this to you so you can understand. I can illustrate this because we need to move on. Psalms 59, and on, on top of Psalms 59, there is a heading to the chief musician Al Tashik Mitchum of David. When Saul sent and they watched the house to kill him. Okay. Now I know what everybody. Oh, that shouldn't be in there, but it is. It's actually in the Hebrew text. But in 1 Samuel 19, you read about Saul spying out David's house to kill him. So Psalms 59, historically, is written what? When David looks out the window and sees Saul's guys casing the house. So that's a stressful situation. So what is he? He says, what's the first word? 59.1, deliver me. <laughs> Deliver me from mine enemies, O oh my God. Defend me from them that rise. Well, why in the world is he saying that? Well, because historically, that's what's going on. But now prophetically, there's the little flock in the 70th week. What are they crying? Same thing. See? 
So there's that spiritual application. So when you study Bible, when you Bible study, you've got the dispensational, who, what, where, when, and why. But don't forget the historical setting of it, and don't forget the spiritual application of it. And that's what Paul's getting at. When you come back to 15, 5, 15, 4, and 5, he's like, look, guys, you read that Old Testament, there's some application that you can take from it. It's Okay, you got that? Now let's go look at an illustration, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Last week we did the Christmas thing, the Christmas story, and I tried to go back and show you how, because of the Old Testament, we can understand what's really going on at December 25th time frame, okay? 1 Corinthians 10 is a passage that will illustrate how the Old Testament can impact us today. The spiritual application of it. And again, not obedience, but what? Learning. All right, I'm going to say that about 100 more times. Because what tends to happen is, is we get in that Old Testament, and we're like, well, I can do that. And then you try it, and guess what happens? You can't do it. <laughs> so here we go. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, so who's the brethren? The Corinthians, the church, the body today, but the Corinthians. I would not that ye should be ignorant. Again, the leading, the world's leading denomination is ignorant brethren. And here, okay, six times Paul uses that phrase. I don't want you to be ignorant. Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. There's something that you need to understand here. How that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All right, stop. Who's the fathers? Who do the fathers belong to? Israel. They don't belong to the Gentiles. So he is not talking about the Gentiles. Who's he talking about? Israel's history. That's what he's doing here. Okay? All right? And we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Did a Gentile cross the Red Sea with Israel? No. Who crossed the Red Sea? Israel. When the Gentiles got swallowed up in the Red Sea. So who are we talking about? We're talking about it. Paul is not saying your fathers, you Corinthians, were all were there. See, he's saying what? Here's an illustration. You need to take to heart because when you when you look at when we learn something from the Old Testament, what we're really going to learn is something about who God is. You and I, as we go back into the Old Testament, we can learn something about who God is, about who, His capacity to keep His promise, His capacity to be faithful, His veracity, and also His wrath, judgment. We can learn that. Keep reading. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Do you know that, if, by the way, you're going to have to have Deuteronomy and Numbers and Exodus and Joshua, a whole bunch of passages here, okay? You go back there to Deuteronomy, and Moses tells Israel, you didn't follow, you followed a rock, little r. You didn't follow our rock, capital R. Do you know that Israel did not know that that was Christ? Do you know who revealed that to Israel, that the capital R was Christ? Paul. Right there. That's it. You got to have Paul to understand the Old Testament. And you nowhere.
verse 5. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Our present understanding shines greater light on the Old Testament. Paul shines light on it. Here's Christ, the, the capital What happened in there? They, he wasn't pleased with them. See, here's his veracity. Here's his justice. Israel had violated it. He told Moses, you go up there and hit that rock and your water will come out. Moses went up and spot rock. He, later, he tells Mo, Moses, you go and speak to the rock. What did Moses do? He went and whacked it again. And Moses couldn't, was left out of the promised land. Why? Because who's the rock? Christ, he's only going to be hit one time. See? Now watch verse 6. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now that's an interesting verse because 99% of the time people will say that's talking to that they, Israel was our examples that we shouldn't do this. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Who is the our? Now these things were our examples. Who's that our? Well, how about verse 1? Who's how that all our fathers? The our did O-U-R, not our as in 10 o'clock, okay? Didn't change. All that happened back there in Israel's history was for who? It was for Israel. It was for Israel to learn to not to lust after evil things. See? So verses 1 to 2 to 4 is Israel's history. Uh, actually, really, 1 to 6 is all Israel's history. Here's Israel, you should have learned in the wilderness not to lust after evil things. And you didn't. Verse 7, neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, as it is written. See, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. That's Exodus. We got numbers. Verse 8, neither let us, see, now let us, now here's the Corinthians. See. Verse 7, neither be ye Corinthians. What's he going to do? He's going to reach back now in verse 7, 8, and 9, and 10, and he's going to reach back into that Old Testament and say, you see what Israel did? They didn't learn the, the they didn't learn, you need to learn from them. You follow, see what he's doing here? Okay? I hope, because that's what Paul's saying when he says the things that are written aforetime are written whatsoever, whatsoever, whatsoever. By the way, whatsoever is not whatever. Whatsoever is more intense. It's more direct. It's you better you pay attention to this boy. <laughs> you know, whatever is whatever. No, whatsoever. I'm oh more so much intense there. Verse seven. Neither be ye, as were some of them. Ye, Corinthians, body of Christ, them, Israel. Okay? Verse 8, Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed. Now watch, And fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Now listen, Paul is not saying that if you do what the, what the Jews did back there, commit fornication and all that, that God's going to reach down out of heaven and kill you. 
He's not saying, because God's not going to do that, is he? The answer is no. Why? Because we've been saved from the wrath to come. But what do you see in verse 8 there with the 20, the 3 and 20,000? You see God's wrath. You see his justice on his people who've broken his word. You see, you see what's happening here? You're, you're beginning, he's not talking about, Paul is never saying God's going to kill you if you don't toe the line today in the age of grace. But he's showing you the veracity of God. Here's God's character. Here's the righteous justice of God. Verse 9, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. See, he's not saying that God's going to come and destroy you. Rather, look at what his offended justice resulted in. It resulted in him executing wrath on them, judgment on them. So what you're seeing, what, now what, verse 11, Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, that they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Again, notice, what's, they're our admonition, they're our in samples. By the way, in sample is not an example. I know what the dictionary does. An example, X, outside. What are we doing? We are looking back at circumstances and illustrations and pictures, right? An in sample, in, inside. Where's God working on Israel? Outside, big picture. So the world will know that he's their God and they're his people. Where's he working on you and I? Inside, in sample, in you. See? I know what the guys do, and they do a disjustice with that. Because the context is not teaching us a dictionary definition here. The context is, look, look, guys, he's, Paul, is, let's, we, we, he's, Paul is pressing the point of the serious ramifications to the believer that is not living as a saint it would live. And he's pressing the point, again, the Corinthians, they're babes, they're carnal. He's pressing that point of the seriousness that God takes behavior, wrong behavior, inappropriate behavior. I mean, think about it, idolatry, fornication, tempting, all that stuff. He takes it serious. How much so? He sent serpents on them and he sent the destroyer on them. He takes it, and we are to take it just as serious. That's the spiritual application. That's what Paul's doing here. I don't want you to be ignorant, people. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, thinking you can go out there and just live any way you want without a consequence. By the way, Romans 8's already told you if you live after the flesh, you're going to have some consequences of it. You need to live. And again, he's not, Paul's not saying you've got to go over here and live under the law and do ABC. But no, just know that there's consequences. Come over to 2 Corinthians 6. Hold on to 1 Corinthians there. 2 Corinthians 6. So it's our attitude here that we need to be careful with, that we don't say, well, I'm free, I have liberty, I'm justified, so I can just go live any way I want to. You can do that, yes. But the seriousness of the matter with God is something different. 2 Corinthians 6, you, you there? 
If you just look back a chapter at chapter 5 and verse 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died from them and rose again. And that is the attitude. That's what Paul's pressing. 2 Corinthians 6 you start in verse 14, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Again, this is not talking about marriage. 1 Corinthians 7 takes care of the marriage question. He's not talking about being in business with unbelievers because guess what? You can't do any business without being in business with an unbeliever. Just He's talking about something else here. All right? For what fellowship hath, notice, righteousness with what? Unrighteousness. What communion hath light? By the way, we are children of the light and darkness, a darkness of the adversary. You see, he's talking about religion. He's talking about the religious system. And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? See, he's talking about you don't belong in that religious system over there. You've got to come on out of that stuff. The Corinthians were entertaining it. They liked it. Why? They liked the ceremonies. They liked the circumstances. They liked, they liked the, uh, the, the protocol. They liked to be the prim and the pr- Last week, we were not prim and proper for a Christmas Sunday. <laughs> you know, we didn't have any music and, you know, all the other stuff that was going on. We just, why? Well, that's because that it's us. If that happened at one of the other religious groups, it wouldn't have happened. You know, we don't have a piano. When, and, when Andrea is not here, we don't have a piano player. Our piano player, uh, Plan B, passed away, promoted to glory. She's playing piano up in heaven. That's good. So we just don't, unless somebody comes in and says, what? Oh, I can play the piano, and we can do A, B, C, you know, mini, 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 mo, and da do 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 Okay? Keep reading. Verse 16. For ye are the temple of the living God. Now watch the, the thinking here. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, Paul's quoting Isaiah there. He's reached back into the Old Testament, and he says, Your attitude, the application is the same. Now watch 7, verse 1. Having therefore, what? These promises. What promise? The promise of being the the temple of the living God, coming out, all that stuff in verse 16, 17, and 18. Dearly beloved, let us, what? Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Paul says, you know who you are in Christ, having received these promises, we're in 2 Corinthians. He's written at least three times to them. If not twice, this is the fourth, the third time. You guys know who you are in Christ. And because of that, let's learn how God views our behavior. What is his view of our behavior? It's very serious. We're to do what? We're to not touch not the unclean thing, that religious system. We're to have our life in order. So when you come back to 1 Corinthians 10, that's what Paul, Paul said, he, he doesn't say, watch out, God's going to get you. 
He says, you need to look at that example of Israel in the Old Testament and the severity that God had viewpoint about their behavior and take that, look at the character of God. What is, how does he view your behavior? And you need to do that. You need to have that same motivation. Okay? 10.11, now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition. Again, Paul is uh, admonition, warning. And admonition is a reach out as a warning that the path that they're on is on the wrong path, and they need to fix it. But again, who fixes who? Paul says those that oppose themselves, they need to, they need to fix themselves. Again, chapter, 5, chapter 14, every man's fully persuaded in his own mind, I can't accelerate your edification, but I can do what? I can exhort and admonish and say you need to be over here and help. You have to come to that and that movement. Come, come back to that chapter, 1 Corinthians 9. 9.8. 9.8. Watch Paul here. Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? Now, Paul's going to speak here. He's going to make an application that he says, I didn't say this, the law says this. Okay? I didn't say this, the law says it. The law of God, that righteous law of God says this, verse 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 25. Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? All right? Does God take care of the oxen? Yes, he does. Now, who's the, who's the by the way, the, the, Paul is talking to them about financially supporting the work of the ministry, specifically paying the preacher. Paul does, no, that's what he is. Paul doesn't want their help. He doesn't want them to help him financially because they're babes. They don't under, they think he's he's getting them to pay him so that and he's get they think he's pulling a con over on them. They don't have that understanding yet, okay? So Paul's going to he's making an application here. Does God want the ministers of the ministry and the work in the ministry taken care of? Yes, he does. Now, who by the way, who takes care of the ox? The farmer does. The one benefiting from the work. So who's going to take care of the ministry? The ones benefiting from the work. That's a wonderful spiritual application right out of the gov out of the government, <laughs> out of the law. Deuteronomy 25. See? Verse 10. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt that it is written. See that? For our sakes, no doubt it's it's here for us to that he that ploweth should plow in hope. And he that thresheth in hope should be partakers of his hope. If God took care of the ox under the law, wouldn't he also be interested in those that are in the ministry and doing the work be taken care of? Yes. So what does that do for the guy plowing? What does that do over here for the plowing, working? It, it, there, there's a hope here. There's a hope with the ox and the plow. There's one who's plowing. They plow in hope. They know that the future and that the funds and the finance is going to be what? It's going to be taken care of. Why? Because those that are benefiting from the work take care of it. You follow? Again, that's all. Oh, I'm just illustration here, so I need a pay raise. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, 
Honestly, I'm just kidding. But the thing is, is that's what Paul's doing. As it is written. Where? In the law of Moses. He goes back into the... Mo now go back to chapter 15. Romans 15. Okay? Because So what does all that have to do with the weaker and the stronger? He's using an illustration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And he says, listen, that stuff, that the issues in Psalm 69 is for our learning. We're to take the application of what the Savior and his attitude toward humanity, his attitude toward his people Israel was, and then go apply that to those who are giving us a pain in the neck, the weak. We're to have that same attitude. It's for our learning. So when he brings up Christ in verse 3, the illustration of the proper thinking about bearing the infirmities of the weak, and he uses Psalm 69, he's using that for the strong in that relationship. Here's the spiritual application, guys. Here's what you ought to be doing. So then we come to verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you Notice, what it, again, what that, we're going to have patience and comfort of the Scriptures and hope, the God of patience and consolation. What's he, what's he trying, what's, what is Paul trying to get us to be? Verse 5, like-minded. See, we're to have the same mindset as Christ. That's all he's trying to, he's just pushing us that way so that when we come to that point, what can happen? We're good to go. Verse 6. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I, that, when we live in this mindset that Christ had, we're going to bring, we're going to participate in the glorification of the Father. Actually, the glorification of the Godhead. All, all of them get the glory. If we don't, what's going to happen? Well, there ain't much going to be much glory going on. But there's going to be a lot of what? Turmoil and angst and the other until what happens? The stronger steps in and says, you know what? I need to do this and not that. The weak, no, they have no clue. They, but what's interesting is he says, with one mind and one mouth. I love that. Now, you can think about that in a couple ways. Come back to Romans 1. And just notice the one mind and the one mouth. One way you can look at that is Romans 1, verse 11, where Paul says, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end you may be established, set up. By the way, the spiritual gift here is going to be the doctrine. Okay, it isn't. Speaking in tongues, or I like the gift of giving. I think we all should have that. Sorry. I was thinking, you guys, it's okay. It's only Sunday morning. It's only New Year's. I was in bed by 10. The game ended, and I was in bed. So, okay. Now, the people down the street weren't. They were letting them go for uh, quite a while. But anyway, but watch verse 12. That it is, that is. What is it to be established? That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you, the one 
See that one? One mind, one mouth. So you could take it that way. Now go back to 15. What's been the context here in this section? 14, Romans 14 to Romans 15, 7. It's our what? It's our activity. It's our actions. It's our interactions with those that are weak in the faith. I take the one mouth and one mind to be your, your actions are speaking volumes. So let's be mindful of our how we're acting and our activity. See? Because our actions speak... People watch what you do oh, way before they ever hear what you say. And then they take what you say and see if it's matching up with what you're doing. And you, We all understand that. Okay? You know, it used to be your... Your word was your bond. Shake the hand and everything was good to go. Can't do that anymore. You know, the legal system won't let you do it. You can still do that. I was out this past week uh, getting some things that I need around the house, and I told the young man at the counter, I said, Happy New Year. It was like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And he says, you know, you're the first one today to say Happy New Year to me. It's like 3 I mean, they've been open since 6 a.m. And, and he's, he's been there. He goes, I'm almost done. <laughs> he's counting. Yeah. And I go, really? He goes, yeah. I go, well, that's a sad commentary. He goes, it is, isn't it? Now, this kid's in his 20s. He goes, it is. And I said, well, Happy New Year to you. He goes, thank you. You too, sir. I'm like, yeah, don't call me sir. <laughs> you know, the lady at, the, uh, at Walmart, I was buying some spray paint, and, you know, they got to come over and check your ID. And she looked at me, and she said, I know it's the gray beard. Gives it away every time. I'm a young man, aren't I? She goes, great. I go, yeah, that's what my kids call me. It's Graybeard. She goes, they do what? And I go, yeah, it's an inside joke. It's okay. You know? One mind, one mouth, actions. You're speaking. Have that mutual faith be what's coming out of you. The sound doctrine, the doctrines learned. Verse 7, here's the mindset. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. God. Here's the mindset we're to have, ultimately to have, in that relationship between the weak in the faith and the strong in the faith. We're to have that same mindset that Christ had when he looked at you and I as sinners, and yet he went and died. Okay? Now the great illustration, or I I was thinking, because we'll start verse 8 next time. Verse 8, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. And actually, verse 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, reach back into verse 4 about whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, not obedience. And we'll we'll spend some time looking at all of that next time. By the way, verse 8, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision, the new Bibles, the new King James says has become the minister of this. Okay, they change it, they brutalize it, they hide dispensational Bible study. We'll look at all that next time. I was trying to think of an illustration that we have here to illustrate this relationship out between the weak and the strong. I used the illustration of the brother about communion, the Lord's table, and so forth. And that can be kind of heavy because now we're into a doctrinal discussion. But what did, what, was, what did Paul talk about a lot in this section? Our what? Our liberty. 
and the use of our liberty and our rights. So here you are. You're learning. You're growing. You've got growth going on. And you interact with someone who's not. Okay? And they say, no, you can't do that. And you're like, yes, I can. Because <laughs> you can't. I wish you wouldn't do that. Now what should our response be? I can! Or maybe, maybe I shouldn't do that. That's what Paul's getting at. You have liberty. You can do, you can eat, drink, sleep, do whatever. Okay? What's God taking serious? That activity, that interaction right there. Well, Rick, what if I've already blown it? Then, un, then don't blow it again. It's forgiven. You have been forgiven. Practice forgiveness with yourself. In the doctrine of forgiveness, later in the in the year, we're gonna we're gonna do a the theme of 2023 is a grace reset, and we're gonna do some things and we'll talk about forgiveness and so forth. But the greatest thing in forgiveness is you have to forgive yourself first. A lot of people, nobody does that. They look to be forgiven or they look to forgive because they've offended, but they never forgive themselves first. That's where the unresolved guilt comes from. Again, I got the liberty. I got the rights. I can do this, and there's no, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do it. I wish you wouldn't do that. Okay. Now I can, now, <laughs> now it's a little bit more of a, uh, uh-oh, maybe I should. What if I messed up? Well, just quit messing up. Rectify the situation the best you can. Just don't mess up again. You check, examine yourselves. You have to do that. But I was, I just got to thinking about, you're growing. We all grow. And the way you would handle one thing over here is going to be completely different what you used to now, okay? Except for in one area. Look in chapter 16. In verse 17. This is the only area that I can find where Paul says, when you're dealing in relationships with other people, there is a absolute line that doesn't get violated. Everything else is gray. Everything else you can work with in a stronger, weaker mentality. Except for verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary. Now watch to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Now, think about the doctrine that you've learned. What have we learned in the book of Romans? That wonderful wealth of grace that we have. The riches, justification, sanctification. We're not Israel. We're not spiritual Israel. And then our, walk, our reasonable service issues. So if you're dealing with someone who says you are spiritual Israel, there is no weaker or stronger relationship there. There's a what? There's a bad doctrine relationship. See what? Okay? This is hard and fast. The weaker, the weaker, stronger is an activity. It's eating and drinking things offered. He doesn't understand. It's liberty. But man, when it comes to bad doctrine, you know what you're to do? Smash it. Stick it over there and let it go. Yeah, but Rick, they don't know. 
But what is your mandate? Is that right there? Why? A little, he was going to tell the Corinthians a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump, messes it all up. That take to, in, to do verse 17, the context, we'll see it when we get into it, is in a local assembly, okay? Because it's right, since they're right after he just said hello to all these churches, and it's done with a broken heart and a heart of tears. Not something just, oh, you know, you just don't like me and kick out. Well, I don't like a lot of you, and you don't like me. You know, I'm, I like all of you. It's complex here, okay? But see, the thing is, is what are we, what's the standard? It's the doctrine, okay? But it's the doctrines that we have learned. That's black and white. That's the stuff for our obedience, see, when we get over here and we talk about stuff in the Old Testament, well, we can have disagreements on some of that because that's not doctrines that for our obedience. Martin Luther's sidekick said one time, in fundamentals things, we toe the line. Everything else, we agree to disagree. Now, that's my summation of that quote, okay? And that's what it is, all right? Now, we'll pick up in verse 8, and we'll catch... Really, the conclusion of the book, 15.8, and we're going to conclude here, verse 8 down to chapter 16, verse 27, and we'll see Christ's past ministry, we'll see Paul's present ministry, then we'll see Paul's love, warning, and salutations, and commendations as we go through it. And we'll have a, really, it's a wonderful way that he ends the book and then sets up 1 Corinthians. Because here's the doctrine, here's the foundation. Now you're going to go out there and live it, and you know what the first thing you're going to do is you're going to stump that big toe. So now what do you do? And that's what the Corinthians have done. They've gone out and they've stumped their big toe. So now you know what happens when you stump your toe. You see stars and you say words you should never say, verbally. <laughs> right? Okay? But it happens. So now, how do we do? Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your Son, for the all blessings that you've given to us, for the completeness, for the liberty that we have. And Lord, I just pray that we would be mindful of that and we would enjoy it and yet at the same time be responsible and respectful of it. In your name we pray. Amen.